Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. After the play was over, unsportsmanlike conduct. This is the press box. Offense number 17. Unsportsmanlike contact. Defense number 57. With Grady and Bischoff. Personal foul. Offense number 73. Personal foul. Offense number 76. On ESPN Las Vegas. All penalties offset. Fourth down. Here we go. It's a Wednesday, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Yeah, we were expecting a good game last night, but look what happened again. Here we go. The first bite. Are you ready to call Gonzaga the best team of all time? It was over like three minutes, Ed. Oh, geez. It was just a bear. Uh, you know, we waited all week. I was so excited. And then it was funny because you and I talked about that because you said yesterday, like, we both wanted a good game, and you're like, yeah, they'll win by 20. And and then when they were winning like that, though, I was kind of bummed it wasn't a close game. But then, like, you just don't want to stop watching them because they're just so good. Like, it didn't really matter what the score was at that point with how they pass and just how they run that offense and defend. And so whether they're up 20 or 5, like, I'm like, I you only get to watch them maybe for two more games if they, in fact, close this out. And you know, so I was okay with it. Like, I wanted SC to play well because I wanted a close game, but then you get caught up in how good Gonzaga is. So at that, at the end, you don't really care. You just got to see him play again. The funniest part of the game against USC is how many times Gonzaga just simply took the ball out of the yeah. hands of a USC player. Just stole like, the ball. Like, they didn't create turnovers with, like, deflecting passes or jumping passing lanes or USC making bad passes. Like, they literally just took the ball out of the hands of USC's players multiple times as though they were like high schoolers playing against 12-year-olds. Yeah. Drew Timmy. How about that guy? He's just out on the he's out on the perimeter against smaller guys who you think could go past them. And he's just kind of picking their pocket, like going the other way. I'm like, look at this guy. I mean, it's amazing. And, and the first look, I mean, there's no question. I think SC, they just got, it just snowballed at the beginning because like you said, they just get turnover and turnover and Enfield's calling timeout and getting their face. And it's kind of like, it gets out, it gets away from you so fast. And, you know, the announcers made a good point in that you just, and there's been a lot of teams like this, but you, they can just go on a 12-0 run in a blink and it's over. And like, you don't know when it's coming and you just try to force a lot of stuff because you're trying to keep up and you get, you know, I think you get, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but you get caught up in all of it. And then you look up at the scoreboard and you're down 15. And it's just, you know, at that point, you're like, how are you going to come back? So how do you go about comparing teams across different areas? Uh, uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because um, I'll go back to the broadcast last night. Said They said the same thing that Mike DeCourcy told us yesterday, which was interesting. And they mentioned UNLV specifically. I'm sure you heard it where, you know, the UNLV team that lost, you know, I think, I think um, they said it was a footnote because they didn't win at all. And, you know, um, the point made was if these, this team doesn't win at all, it will be considered a really, really great in-state tournament team that didn't finish. So I guess you have to see if they win at all because you're comparing different things if they don't win at all to the teams that did for all-time teams. Um, you know, it's one of the best teams probably you and I have ever seen. Um, but if they don't finish it, I don't know where you put them in terms of, like, all-time great teams if they can't, if they can't win the championship. 
Yeah, if they don't win it, they're going to be right there with 91 yeah. UNLV. You know what And what, the, was it the 2005 Illinois team that, mm-hmm. that lost yeah. in the title game? Like those, Carolina. They're going to be right there with those two teams. It's yeah. considered, oh, that's like the best team we've seen play that didn't actually win it. I uh, Listen, I'm having a hard time thinking of a college basketball team that I've seen that's better than this Gonzaga team because here's here's the most amazing thing to me about Gonzaga in the year 2021 we are in the three-point era of basketball and we have watched an NCAA tournament where teams lose specifically because they can't make threes or because their opponent went nuts making threes right the reason Oregon State made the elite eight is because their first three opponents shot 20 percent from three-point range right you if you have a bad shooting night in college basketball you lose. And if your opponent has a great shooting night in college basketball, you lose. But Gonzaga's three-point proof. Like, that's the most amazing thing about this because they don't rely on three-pointers. They shoot it well from three. There were 37% from three in the regular season. They're one of the top 50 teams as far as three-point shooting goes. But they, like, don't they don't really shoot threes very much. Like, they were bottom yeah. 200 in terms of amount of threes they took this year because they're so dominant. They just get layups, and they do it in transition, whether they just take it from you and they get a two-on-one break the other way, or they do it in the half court where their offense is just so much better than you. And, like, they're three-point proof. They're the one team that in college basketball, if you told me, hey, the opponent made 60% of their threes, the opponent made, you know, 18 of 30 three-pointers, they're the one team that I would say, yeah, Gonzaga's still got a chance to win that. They're still probably in that game. Because they're they're three point proof. They're so efficient on offense, they get layups. Because like the whole like analytics and all this that tells you to not shoot mid range jumpers and shoot threes instead, all those analytics tell you is that layups and dunks are still better than threes, right? Threes are good, but layups and dunks are better, and that's all Gonzaga shoots yeah. an entire game. That's all they do is shoot like that shot. So they're three point proof in the era of three point shooting, and that to me is why I'm sitting here saying I. I can't think of a team I've watched that's better because they're they're immune to the biggest problem that every team runs into in this sport. The only team I've watched live better, uh, and you're not going to remember this, but was '96 Kentucky with the nine with the nine NBA players and Contino's team. Yeah, uh, Anderson, McCarty, Mercer. I saw those guys live at the Final Fours. My first Final Four I ever covered. That's got to be the only team I thought was, and I know DeCourcy said that team. It's kind of regarded. Everyone always goes to '96 Kentucky as the best team ever, mainly because I think they had nine NBA players, and you know Patina was just incredible as he is now. But I can't think of another team past those guys. I was watching those guys last night. The, they're beautiful to watch offensively. They, their offense is just ridiculous. And you're right. It, it's almost like, how do they keep doing this? I saw that on Twitter. Like, how does that guy do that? And, and you're like, no explanation. I mean, they're incredible passers. I get all that. And it was funny because few was, you know, at halftime, I think he said, well, you know, you know, we got, they did get caught up on a few quick shots and a few, few, uh, few quick threes that I, he didn't like, but you know, it's almost like he has to pick out a few possessions to even say anything bad. They were sloppy in the second half. That's going to happen. You're up 20. I mean, they know it's over, but when they're locked in, like they were those first 15, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, I can't believe they're not going to win it. I just, of the four left, maybe Baylor's guards. I just, I don't think so. I, I will say this. I want them to play Baylor and I want to see what the line is. Like, I want to see what the books might think that line should be. I'd love to know right now because they're double digit favorites in every game. 
I just, you know, I don't think they're going to lose. And then, of course, I mean, next Tuesday we can say, you know, they've got to be one of the all-time greatest teams. They have to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, no doubt about it. If they if they go on and win the title, and yeah, I expect them to beat UCLA by double digits. Yeah, I I don't know what to expect against Baylor, but I'd still expect them to win that game. I, yeah, I mean, we're we're looking back saying, yeah, it's it's one of the best teams ever and legitimate argument for best team of all time. Yeah. and. Again, I don't know the best way to compare teams against eras. I, I don't know. Last, last year during the pandemic, I watched all six of UNLV's games when they won the national title. And it's very similar to this with how dominant that UNLV team was. And they defensively just, yeah, we're just going to take the ball from you at times. So I don't know how you compare against eras. But I know in this era, Gonzaga, they're the most foolproof team that I've seen play uh, for any college basketball team. It will almost be too bad, um, and this I think the reason you want them to win it. Uh, well, one you can say you, you know we saw an undefeated team that that would be cool, but you don't like I. You want them to win it for the sake of they're so good. Like I think it would be too bad if if people then fell fell short because I still think as incredible as they are, I'm telling you, there's still people out there who question the conference and question how good they are. I saw things on Twitter last night. They just can't believe they're this good. They won't accept that those kids are that good. And if they would lose, whether I don't think they'll lose to UCLA, but let's say Baylor got them in like a really close game, you know, I think there'd be that sense. And I think that would suck for them because they've been just so incredible. Like you want to see them finish it. I mean, I want to see an undefeated team. I'd love that to happen. Uh, I know there's a person in my house who would kill me for saying that, but I'd love that <laughs> for happen. I, you know, just to see it, you know, I told my wife last night, you know, it'd be cool you know, and she's yelling at me too for saying that, but I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to see like an undefeated team and these guys finish this out? And you can say you watched it because you would. You'd go back years later and say, you know, that team was incredible. They went undefeated. Ed, you got a Baylor flag outside your house. No, you can't I know. I, I, the undefeated I, team. I mean, just whispering the idea that it might be cool for Gonzaga to win in this place <laughs> is just like it's just death. I mean, I'm I'm I, I, I'm being shunned outside. Um, so I, I mean, they're they're so good. And, um, yeah, I, I love watching them play. Like I said, I thought – I hope they get there because I want to watch them play two more times. It's one of those teams that whether you root for them or not, the way they play, you just want to see them play. Like I just want to watch them, you know. So that's why I hope they're, you know, at least have two more games. And, I mean, I'm with you. I what's what It opened up at 14 for you and UCLA. It might have already been bet up. I just – UCLA can't outscore that team. I, I, they could have a bad night, and I can't believe they're going to outscore that team. Yeah, I, I, Gonzaga can probably play like a C uh, game and they're yeah. going to beat UCLA. And, and um, I, I got to ask you, what do you think of Drew Timmy's uh, mustache or whatever you want to call his facial hair? <laughs> I think I guess it. I guess it just fits and it goes to the um, the storyline and the narrative again. As I see in social media, like someone asked, of course, in social media last night, I just can't believe this guy's that good. And I think they kind of see the mustache and the headband and the you know, the, the pounding of the chest and, and, uh, and they won't accept it. So I, I like that he has it because I think it just, it, it, it goes to the whole persona of him and the characteristics of people just wondering, how is this guy, how is he, like we said, picking the pocket of a guard, you know, 30 feet from the basket and going the other way. Uh, if he looked kind of more normal with, you know, no facial hair, whatever, I don't know if it'd be as cool. Drew Timmy's facial hair makes me think it's something Jared would look like if Jared was well-groomed. No, well groomed. 
Yeah. Okay. Would he have the headband on, or would he use the mask for the headband like we saw a couple weeks ago? I think I think if he, if we're doing well groomed college <laughs> basketball player, he'll he'll go with the headband up around the hair. He doesn't have okay. his mask right. pulled up to use double as a headband up there. But I, I think the the facial like like Jared, have you ever grown your hair out the way Drew Timmy has his uh, mustache into whatever you want to call that? I'm googling Drew Timmy now. Thank you. <laughs> There's a link in the rundown to show you what it looks like. Pay attention. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have other. I'm setting up the rest of the show. Uh, oh man! It, it started off as a mustache, and he's just let it go yeah. to where it's it was like a handlebar, but now it's even more than that. He's so, not changing that until this thing's over. I'll tell you that. I don't. No I don't have the. I don't have the the confidence to try to pull that look off. <laughs> Jared, when we used to come into the studio, I don't think it was confidence that was ever exuding from you the way you look. So I don't think you'd have to worry about the confidence to pull anything off. Yeah, it's also I'm on radio. No one has to see me. Yeah, this true. dude is literally Whoa. playing in the he's playing in the biggest like games in college basketball, and he's like, "All right, I'm going to look like the biker that Steven Seagal roundhouse kicks." <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about Drew Timmy, which I think is great, we're watching this picture now just a little, like you have to really stare, you know, closely when he flexes to see anything. Oh, like, yes, there is no he, muscle like, definition. When he flexes, there. like there's like no muscle definition. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Like, where's your bicep? <laughs> and he flexes, which again makes this the greatest story ever. I know, you know, the the, the handlebar, the no, the no bicep, and he's just dominating the insane tournament, which is just incredible it's it's an he's, awesome story he stole the dribble from usc's point guard on yes, the first yes. play of the game last night <laughs> that was the first the first usc play their seven foot center ripped yeah. the dribble of the point guard of usc and we didn't need to watch anymore that was no, it, it. Was, the game it. was over was <laughs> when that happened all right coming up next we will jump into the raiders because colton miller got a surprise extension yesterday we're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Ben Gotts is going to join us at 7.30. Was he homecoming or prom king? I can't ever remember. He might have been both. That kid was also a hockey player slash thespian slash homecoming king. He did it all back in Minnesota. And nobody and, could pronounce his name? Gots, Gets, no. and Goats? No, no one oh, could pronounce it. Man. And he does admit to sort of being like Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers, where he ate a lot of meatloaf on his couch from mom. So he, well, it's a Minnesota kid that's 40 below. I think a lot of people are probably eating meatloaf inside. Okay. All um, right, we <laughs> have our first question for Ben. <laughs> Then goats, gets, or gots will join us at 7.30, and we'll find out how much meatloaf he ate on his couch. Uh, but the Raiders yesterday decided that they were going to sign Colton Miller to an extension. So it's, it's a little confusing because Colton Miller is still under contract for this year, and then because he was a first-round pick, the Raiders can pick up a fifth-year option on him for 2022. He signed a three-year extension that covers the three years after that. So this extension kicks in in 2023, 2024, and 2025. So he is signed to the Raiders for the next five seasons with this three-year extension. Now, 
the the contract details we don't actually know what the cap hits will be each year what we do know is cap it'll be 4.2 million this year it'll be 10 million next season and then it'll be somehow an average of 18 million dollars per season for those last three years of the extension uh so what'd you make of them giving colton miller an extension Um. yesterday I'm not sure on the timing. I, look, I think if he continues to, you know, become a better player, and I, I, I know what his PFF rankings are, but let's say he continues a trajectory up top, you can look back and say it's kind of a bargain for a left tackle in the NFL. I don't know if he's at that level yet, but, I won't, you know, if he keeps getting better, I don't know if in two years we won't be looking back and saying, okay, that's kind of what he should be paid. Um, let me ask you this, because you know the cap hits. It, you know they still look. They still need. Uh, we're still shocked that Jeff Heath's the starting uh, free safety. That, that can't happen. So, and we and we and there's still guys out there. Maybe not the top line guys, but still guys now locking him up. You know, for the next few years, does that give them more of a sense of how much money they have to go out and get somebody? Like, you know, did they take care of this and they just got it done? They knew they were going to extend him, um, so they got it done. So now they have more of a sense of what they might be able to go out and get somebody to, to that they desperately need at that position? Yeah, I mean, the the thing with the Colton Miller deal is it doesn't have an impact on this year's salary cap. This year, because, right. Yeah, because he was already yeah. under contract. If they were signing somebody this offseason to a long-term deal, then maybe. But I think, I mean, my expectation is they're going to sign somebody in the secondary sure. at some point. But it's probably going to be a one-year deal. Like, I, I yeah. doubt they're signing anybody this offseason to more than a two-year deal. So, I don't know if the Colton Those Miller one has, gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if the Colton Miller is going to have too big of an impact on that just because they, there won't be an overlap between that extension and whoever they sign this offseason. But mm-hmm. what, what I find fascinating about Colton Miller is the timing of this because the Raiders did not have to pay Colton Miller right now. They did not right. have to give right. him an extension. He's under contract for this next season. They can use the fifth-year option and keep him under contract for 2022. And again, his cap hit is $4 million this year, $10 million next season. They basically could have taken two more years to evaluate Colton Miller and see how good he actually becomes as a left tackle before paying him. Because if you look at left tackles this season... 18 million would be the second highest paid left tackle in football. Now, mm-hmm. he's not getting 18 million this season. He's getting 18 right. million in 2023. And if you just look ahead to 2022, there are seven left tackles that will make at least 18 million dollars. So that number's going up for left tackles. So by the time 2023 comes around and Colton Miller's getting paid 18 million dollars, he's probably going to be around 10 to 15th highest paid tackle in yeah. football. So, which is if he continues to get better, right? So, if you're the Raiders, yeah. and do you, you, you we'll use pro football focus, he was the 33rd best tackle in football last year. Mm-hmm. He got he's he got better, he was like you know 70th his rookie year, like in the 40s or 50s his second year, and then he was 33rd last year. So, here, here's the, the problem with the timing on this is that if Colton Miller continues to get better, and if Colton Miller becomes you know a top 15 tackle in football, then by the time his rookie contract was up, the Raiders would probably have to pay him a pretty big deal, and you might have to end up paying him 20 or $22 million a year. So the Raiders might have saved themselves 2 3 $4 million by doing this. Mm-hmm. But if Colton Miller stays right where he is, if Colton Miller over the next two years is the 30th best tackle in football, there's no way you should be paying him $18 million a year. 
there's absolutely no reason to do that. And if Colton Miller gets worse, if Colton Miller regresses, then there's definitely no way you should be paying him $18 million a season. So I'm very curious why the Raiders did this now because they didn't have to. And it's not like Colton Miller signed for some super cheap deal. It's not like they got him for $9 million a season. It's $18 million. It's a significant chunk. So I'm not quite sure why the Raiders did it now when you had two more years to evaluate how good Colton Miller's going to be. Yeah, that's the risk, right? I mean, yeah, then, and at this point, the risk is bigger than reward because we don't know how or, you know, how much he will continue to improve. They obviously believe in him or they wouldn't have done this, but you make a good point on the timing. It's funny. They've done this with other, uh, well, let's go back to, um, you know, the local hockey team went to Flurry. Like, it's always interesting when deals are made when you don't have to. Like, I, I, like when you, there's no leverage in the other side. Colton Miller had zero leverage. Now, again, they haven't talked about it because, you know, they don't talk about anything. And they'll just, you know, eventually I assume Colton Miller will be on a Zoom. Um, but he's not going to really do anything except how great it is. So one day I'm sure when we talk to Gruden or Mayock, it's going to be we believe in the player. Uh, we think the player is going to be this. And it was time to do that. But there, I don't know if there's an ex- explanation that people will completely accept as to why you needed to do it now. I mean, like you said, if he's really good in two years, he's going to be a bargain. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be a bargain at that at that price, the position he plays. But you're right. It's a risk. And why you take the risk now, I don't I have no idea. I mean, it, you know, just like the flurry contract. Why would you do that at that point in his career? Why do you do these things? And I don't think loyalty is a good enough reason. I mean, you're a business. So, you know, and I don't know if they usually say anything like that, but. Yeah, it was interesting that they locked him up and he wasn't going anywhere. That's the other thing. It's not like he was going anywhere. Um, yeah. So for their for their sake, I sh- I'm sure they're hoping that they're right. And in two years, people say, wow, you know, you made a good deal with that guy. He's he's, you know, not underpaid, but he certainly paid what he should be, you know, the going rate for what he is right now at that position. What I'll be curious to see this year from Colton Miller is how much of an impact does the you know gutting of the rest of the offensive right. line have on Colton Miller? Because, you know, Richie Incognito's back and presumably is gonna be the left guard right next to Colton Miller, and that's that would be great for Colton Miller. But with no Rodney Hudson, with that right side of the line, from the center to the right tackle spot, completely reworked in a sense. I'm curious, A, how good the offensive line looks overall. And does Colton Miller have a worse season individually because of it? Because all of a sudden, like you look across the offensive line, he's the best offensive lineman on the team. Oh, like, sure. If, I mean, if, if sure. Incognito comes back and is fully healthy where he was two years ago, Incognito's yeah. probably better than Colton Miller. But yeah. I mean, it's you go from Colton Miller being, you know, the third, fourth best offensive lineman to suddenly being the best. I'm I'm curious how that works in an offensive line and what he looks like this season because. The Raiders are taking a chance this year that their offensive line will be competent despite not spending a lot of money on it and despite getting rid of the guys that were making a lot of money and were talented. And like that that could genuinely blow up in their face. And if their offensive line looks horrible this year and Colton Miller isn't exactly great, like we're going to look at this extension and say, now why did you do that so early? Yeah, You guys... Yeah, go ahead. You obviously are missing it. What you do... Is if he is bad, you trade him and a third round pick for a fifth round pick. 
<laughs> especially in the third round pick. No, I mean, and that's why we're waiting around. And I talked to someone yesterday for a column on this. That's why everyone's waiting around for it. You, you know, you broomed guys who were really, really good, who were making a lot of money. I get that. In essence, I assume to free some space to fix one of your most glaring weaknesses, and you haven't fixed it yet. And <laughs> and let's be honest, the top line guys at those spots, they're gone. So you're, whoever they sign in the secondary at this point, and I would say even Reg, Richard Sherman, I'm talking more safeties though, they're going to have either health issues from the past. They're going to have either, I don't know, you know, a, you know, playing ability from the past. You're not getting a guy now at that spot, like let's say free safety, if it's not Heath or they try to make Abram that, where, oh, he's, he's a can't miss. You know, they're going to get a guy who might be good, but there's going to be question marks soon because the, the best guys are, are gone. So I still think it's very strange that they cleared a lot of guys and they didn't at first go to that position. Like I, I'm still wondering why. Yeah. yeah, it's it's strange that they they gutted one of their best positions and yeah. then they didn't actually improve where they needed to improve. All right, coming yeah. up next, Ben Goats gets gots one of those three joins the show. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. We gotta stay positive. Joining us now from the Review Journal, it's been Gets or Goats or Gots. We'll let you determine which last name you should call Ben by. But Ben, uh, we have an important question because Ed, I don't know if it's an accusation. That makes it sound bad. But no, Ed it's is, an accusation. Ed, Ed has accused you of uh, spending no. many high school nights eating meatloaf on your couch. <laughs> Yeah, so Ed likes to envision me as Will Ferrell from the character yes, Wedding Crashers. Yes, that yes. is Ed's uh, idealized version of my life before Las Vegas. How accurate it is of me, who's probably about as tall as Will Ferrell, just in that velvet bathrobe, shouting for meatloaf. You know, I really am not at liberty to disclose that information. All See, I we're can not... say is my mother is a lovely person who makes wonderful meatloaf, and uh, I enjoyed every second of my time there. Did you? It's not. It's not a shot. I mean, it's it's forty below. Who else would? What else would you be doing besides eating meatloaf? You can't go outside. Oh no, of course not. You got all sorts of hot dishes. I mean, her tater tot hot dish also to die for. It was incredible stuff. Really warms you up. Uh, in the middle of those, uh, you know, minus 20 below wind chills you got going there, uh, or the cold days we had when we couldn't uh, go to school. Not snow days, just cold days. It was too <laughs> cold to go outside. That's a thing that happens in Minnesota. Did you crash funerals like Will Ferrell from Wedding Crashers? I am proud to say, and this is a statement I never thought I would say over the public airwaves on the radio, I have never crashed a funeral so far. <laughs> so you're willing to confirm that you haven't crashed a funeral, but you won't confirm that you asked for meatloaf while sitting on the couch. So I'm going to assume that that is a true story. <laughs> I'm just going to keep these things close to the vest, you know? Uh, Got to have my secrets. Uh, okay. Well, Ben Goats, Gets, or Gots is with us today from the Review <laughs> Journal. Um so on the Golden Knights here, I'm curious, what do you think of Cody Glass getting sent down and Kelly McCrimmon saying, hey, you know, he's going to play some games because he want to get his confidence back up? Yeah, it's a fascinating situation to pick apart because there's so much nuance to it. One, in terms of getting his confidence back up, I do get that part. 
But it's an extremely weird timing to say that when actually I thought he played one of his better games this season, <laughs> Monday against the Kings. Now, obviously what's happening here, in addition to the fact that they want to, you know, get his confidence back up or whatever, is the fact that Alex Petrangelo is clearly getting close to coming off LTIR. He was in the red non-contact jersey on Monday. We'll see where he's at today, but the team also waived Nick Holden yesterday and basically they're doing all those things because they need to get salary cap compliant again because they no longer have that cushion of having a guy on long-term injured reserve they're basically going to be back to where they were in the beginning of the year where they couldn't have both cody glass and nick Hag on the roster at all times and they were playing with five defensemen some nights and basically it looks like we're not going back to that old song and dance nick Hag has played i think you know pretty well very solidly he's kind of earned his spot as an NHL regular. So it's clear that they've chosen that we're going to go 12-6 moving forward and we're going to keep Nick Hague in the lineup, which means it then makes sense, hey, let's not just have Cody Glass sitting around, let's have him play a little bit. And so I do get that part because one thing that Glass has said before this season is obviously he was recovering from knee surgery in the offseason, which I think is easy to forget just because it happened so long ago. It's already been about a year since he had that surgery, and he was also trying to bulk up because he thought he was too scrawny as a rookie. But one thing uh, that he's mentioned to me is that he actually, uh, because he was you know trying to get ready for the season and work on his body, he didn't get a chance to kind of work on his kind of uh, quick twitch stuff moving into the year. He said he lost a little bit of his quickness because he bulked up so fast, and also he was trying to get his knee to a point where it needed to be in order to play this season. And I think in this crazy condensed schedule where uh, games are coming fast and furious, I mean, they're basically playing more than every other day at this point because they have back-to-backs. It's not a good time, I think, if you're Cody Glass to try to keep working yourself into shape to where you want to be in terms of uh, your quickness. I mean, he mentioned he was playing on a line with Alex Tuck. Alex Tuck most of the year. That's a guy you need to keep up with. And I don't think Cody Glass was necessarily doing that enough. And same in the limited opportunities he got up in the lineup when he was playing with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And Pete DeBoer even said yesterday that he thought there were times where Cody Glass was kind of clearly getting tired. The pace of the schedule was wearing on him. And I think that kind of makes sense when you remember the fact that, I mean, this is a guy that hadn't played competitive hockey until the season opener in basically, you know, eight months. And so I think it makes sense the fact that the schedule was a grind for him. I think sending him back to the American Hockey League where the schedule is a little bit more relaxed to kind of build his game back up, get some confidence, and potentially kind of work off the ice too on some of those uh, things with his body that he needs to work on makes a lot of sense. It still is, like I said, tough timing for him where you played a pretty good game on Monday your line scores a goal toward the end of the game, you're probably feeling pretty good and that, you know, you might get rolling now, and then you're sent to the American Hockey League. I imagine that had to be a pretty tough pill to swallow. So, I just and I know it's hard to do, but of all that you just said and what he had over the injury and the, the pandemic and everything that went into where he is now, give me a percentage of what you true, truly believe they think of him now. I mean, he was the sixth overall pick. He was their first pick. I think they probably thought his development would be further along now. Is there any chance in the room that they're second-guessing taking him? I think you have to at least you know, allow that possibility to enter your mind. I mean, 
let's be honest, he's always going to get compared to the guy that went right ahead of him with Elias Pettersson with the Vancouver Canucks, who's been uh, tremendous in his three seasons in the league. And, of course, the Knights had uh, Nick Suzuki, who was the 14th overall pick this year, now with the Montreal Canadiens, who looks like a legit top-six center already. So that swirling over them is always going to make it look tough if Cody Glass doesn't get you know, his kind of career together. Now, like I said, there's obviously a lot of circumstances surrounding Cody Glass that potentially have held him back. He's also had to kind of develop on the fly with a contender as opposed to uh, Vancouver when Pedersen first got there was just like, we don't think we're going to be that good this year. You're going to get a ton of minutes. And same with Suzuki where the Canadians, even though they made the bubble last year, they were basically the last team in the bubble. They weren't that good. So they could afford to give a long leash and top six minutes to a guy making uh, his NHL debut in Suzuki. Cody Glass has not really had that luxury for the most part. He's had to develop in the bottom six, which is a role that he's not necessarily used to. And then, of course, you add in the fact that he's had a significant knee injury and is trying to work his way back from that. And his ping pong, you know, around the lineup a little bit last year. And then this year he's ping ponged in and out of the lineup quite a bit. It's been a lot for him to deal with. Now, I think if you're the Knights, what you have to make a determination right now, and it looks like they have, is despite all that, is Cody Glass part of a roster that will help deliver you a Stanley Cup this year? And it looks like they decided that they can upgrade on that third-line center position in order to win right now, which I think is a fair assessment to make. Cody Glass just hasn't been noticeable enough at 5-on-5 consistently enough, I think, for you to trust him potentially in a playoff series right now, especially as we head toward the trade deadline. Now, how they assess his future potential, I don't know. There's a lot of, like I said, nuance and things that you have to pull apart there. But at the very least, they have to be questioning it, especially because third-line center looks like it might have to be his role for at least a little bit here because you've got Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson both locked in, playing well, and under contract for many years moving forward. So if you were running things, would you be confident in the Golden Knights' bottom six, or would you be trying to make a trade before the deadline to make that bottom six better? I would be calling around and seeing what I could do. I think there's enough guys that you, the Knights could get that wouldn't be that expensive that would be worth calling on. I mean, keep in mind, uh, and I just mentioned it off the top when we were talking about Alex Petrangelo coming off LTIR, I mean, the Knights' cap situation is incredibly fraught. Like, it's really tight. They're going to have to get really creative in order to make a move. But we saw them get creative last year when they acquired Robin Leonard, where they basically had two different teams retain salary in order to fit him in under the cap. The Blackhawks, who the Knights acquired him from, retained salary, and the Maple Leafs also retained salary as part of that trade. I think the Knights might have to do something similar to add a bottom six piece, but I think there's going to be so many guys available, even rentals that are not going to cost that much under the cap. And, you know, based on what we've already seen for rentals uh, so far in the, this market, you know, Eric Stahl went from the Buffalo Sabres to the Montreal Canadiens for a third and a fifth. I think that's pretty affordable if you're an acquiring team looking to add a kind of rental forward. I mean, the Knights have picks galore coming up here. They have two second-round picks. This year, And if you're a contending team like the Golden Knights, obviously they started with kind of no farm system, so you want to build that up. But you don't necessarily need that many picks when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup right now. And I don't think it would 
uh, cost them too many of them to try to acquire, you know, a bottom six piece. Maybe you have to throw in an extra one to get another team to retain salary. But I think it's doable if they're willing to get creative. Boy, it's it amazes me. I'm sorry, and I'm just thinking back to that trade you said with Leonard. As good as this team's done, I don't know if I'm ever helping these guys at all in these trades and the retaining. It's amazing how this league, they don't have to give anyone up in the expansion draft. Yeah, we'll help you out. I mean, GM GM must be great on the phone. I'll tell you that. He must have some really good negotiating tactics, Benjamin. Yeah, there's a couple guys in the NHL where I don't understand why you pick up (laughs) when they call. McCrimmon is one of them. Like, obviously, Winnipeg really helped them out by basically taking Paul Stasny off their hands for a fourth-round pick. Uh, same with Vancouver, though. I got that one a little bit more, acquiring Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick. Uh, you know, you got these guys over a barrel, essentially, and <laughs> they still got something back for those guys. Uh, and the other guy is uh, the guy who runs the team that the Knights saw over the weekend, and that's Joe Sackick. Uh, I don't know why any team picks up the phone when he calls. He got Brandon Saad from the Chicago Blackhawks and got them to retain salary just because he could. They didn't really even need to retain salary, but they got the Blackhawks to do it anyway. Uh, and then he squeezed uh, Devon Tays, who's been, I think, incredible for them from the New York Islanders for uh, not that much. And he's been one of the best defensemen in the NHL this season. So uh, for sure, those are two guys. If uh, you know their numbers pop up the next couple weeks, NHL GMs, just put the phone down. It's fine. You can move on to someone else. Well, he has been goats, I think is the correct pronunciation. Yes, ben, enjoy yes. your meatloaf today. Thank you, Benny. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'll go get the bathroom. <laughs> yes. See, I think there was not – I don't even think it was denial, denial. I think uh, mom makes wonderful meatloaf. It's 40 below. And why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you have a nice warm meal each night? I think the kid, uh, he did well for himself. He did well for himself. When you can't <laughs> go outside because it hurts just to exist in the how about cold like, weather. How about like, it's not a snow day, it's a cold day, everyone yes. stay home. <laughs> it's a cold day because you can't walk outside or you die. All right, coming up next, uh, the NCAA. They're uh, kind of getting raked by the Supreme uh. Court right now. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. So... The Supreme Court right now, uh, based on Twitter, sounds like it's ripping the hell out of the NCAA. The Supreme Court is taking up a case uh, about the NCAA and whether or not the NCAA is violating the antitrust laws in this country by not paying their players. And uh, just based on what the quotes people are tweeting out from people on the Supreme Court, it's not going well for the NCAA. No. No, not at all. Um... They're, they're, they're all over this NCAA attorney. And like you said, it's about, you know, uh, the distinction. The NCAA is saying, look, if you allow this, if you allow them to be paid, if you allow them to get extra benefits, and I was reading some of the things, whether it be study abroad, you know, all things, you know, uh, other kind of benefits that they don't aren't allowable now, that it really, the NCAA says it's going to, uh, you know, um, split it between professional and college athletics will be the same thing. And also, I think there's a fear of smaller conferences that, if you do a bidding war and they side on the athletes and the Supreme Court side on the athletes here, it will become a, it'll be free agency and it's not going to help the smaller conferences. But it doesn't sound like at least early on in these arguments that the NCAA is doing very well in terms of how the justices are responding to the idea that athletes shouldn't be paid or they shouldn't be eligible for these benefits, much like every other kid. 
smaller conferences are already screwed. It can't get it. Well, they're already more. screwed anyway. They're gonna be they're gonna be more screwed anyway. Um, nah, it'll be fine. A, they'll be fine. They'll they'll get more players because some of them will pay. They'll get they'll give the guy who would sit on the bench at Alabama a lot more money to come be the starter. They'll they'll be they'll spend all their money on one player. One and guy. Hope he's a superstar. Yes, and hope he's a superstar. Um. So what what's been some of the funny parts of this is that the NCA lawyer has apparently argued that consumers love watching unpaid people play sports. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I really care watching Drew Timmy last <laughs> night, whether he's paid or not like that. Like if he was being paid, I would have turned that game off and said, you know what? I just can't watch that because Drew Timmy is getting, you know, uh, more of these educational advantages or being able to be paid much like the music student who, can go and give private lessons and make a bunch of money on the side or, you know, pick any student on a campus that's not an athlete who can use their expertise or whatever they're studying and, you know, and give that to younger kids or whatever and make money off it. I was really worried about that last night. Who cares? Like, uh, that would not – I don't know about you. Would that affect you at all? I'd still no. watch the game. I, no. I, don't, I don't at all. I watch plenty of pro sports where they make a lot of money. Yes. Uh, yeah. This tweet from Nicole Auerbeck, uh, lawyer Jeffrey Kessler says that the NCAA is arguing for an antitrust exemption because of an imaginary revered tradition. Yeah, well – the more tweets that come out, uh, I think the more athletes are smiling in this case. I mean, I, you so, know, it's going to take it forever for them to make a decision on this. They'll, they'll be months down the road before they write their decision. But yeah, it's it's just not it's not looking good for the NCAA. The lawyer for the NCAA walked into the Supreme Court today, and the best arguments they could come up with for why they should not have to pay players is a that people like to watch unpaid players play sports, right. and b. They shouldn't have to follow the antitrust laws because of an imaginary tradition. Those were the arguments they walked into the Supreme Court with. They like it's they deserved like they I don't know what the exact the process here is in the Supreme Court, but they deserve to lose already. Like whatever happens here, those are the worst two arguments I've ever heard in my life. They lose. Like they yeah, they, they I, have no chance. Those are those are horrific no. arguments to bring forward and say, hey, this is why we shouldn't have to pay our players. Well, and I also think, given what you just said about the, you know, the smaller schools between the, the power fives and the non-power fives, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it's a slippery slope because if you don't remain, you know, you don't maintain a distinction between college and pro, everything's a change. Listen, this just in, college is a lot closer to pros than people think at that power five level. So it's not going to be some huge leap at the power five level or how much money they have um, to then, you know, be able to pay kids for their image and likeness and be able to give them stipends or whatever it ends up being. Cause I do think eventually they're going to get paid. I mean, right away, this case right now tells you that the NCAA is in trouble with that, with that way. <laughs> but to, to even make the argument that everyone's amateur and, and everyone's on the same playing field, tell that to the mountain West or the, or the whack, tell that to them that they're in a, you know, a level playing field when it comes to advantages and money and, and finances and everything else that the power fives get. It's already close to it. And I think, again, I'm not, we're just following the tweets. But if this is his opening argument, I mean, good luck to you. And, 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 and they are just pounding this guy in terms of, you know, what he's saying and what, what they believe to be the truth. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, again, it'll take months for them to, to, to announce a decision. But if this is, you're exactly right. If this is his argument, I don't think they have any chance in the world. No, they're going to side with the athletes. Yeah, you can't like his argument is, well, this is the way we've always done it. So we should be allowed to violate the law. Like 
that's the argument. Oh, we've always done it. Like, so we shouldn't have to change. That that doesn't work. That's not a good argument. That's not, there's nothing quality about that to argue, hey, do we, well, why would we change? Because this is how we've always done it. It's, it's a horrific argument. And whether or not you think it, it, a college player should get paid or not, that's the worst argument you could come up with for it. That's the worst <laughs> you could do to argue for it. How about the judge who has to write the dissenting opinion? I agree with everything the other side says. That's my opinion. This stinks, and I refuse to write any kind of dissenting opinion about this. But there is there is no dissenting opinion. There is no dissenting opinion. These guys are a bunch of morons, and yes. you guys are going to start paying the players because you make a lot of money instead of putting slides in your practice facilities. Uh.